Good evening. The British royal family rent by internal squabbling over the skin color of a future princess. New York's attorney general names investigators into the state's Cuomo problem. Women in leadership in the fight against COVID and high schools in New York set to reopen. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, March 8th, 2021. Experts say the $1,400 COVID relief checks in the American Rescue Plan could go out in days. The news comes as the House prepares to finalize the bill before it's sent to President Joe Biden for his signature. Some Americans might receive direct payments as soon as this week if the House of Representatives, as expected, passes the $1.9 trillion bill tomorrow. Incarcerated people, those with non-citizen spouses and relatives of those who died in 2020 will also be eligible to receive payments. The bill also includes an expanded child tax credit of up to $3,000 per child or $3,600 for each kid under the age of six. The IRS will pay part of this in monthly installments of $250 or $300 from July through December. Meanwhile, President Biden will deliver a primetime address on Thursday to commemorate the first anniversary of the coronavirus shutdown and to talk about the role Americans will play in beating the virus. Today is International Women's Day, and Biden marked the day by announcing the nominations of two female generals for promotion to four-star commands, hailing the nominees as two outstanding and eminently qualified warriors and patriots. The president nominated General Jacqueline von Ovest of the Air Force to be commander of the United States Transportation Command and Lieutenant General Laura Richardson to be commander of the United States Southern Command. Today is International Women's Day. And we all need to see and to recognize the barrier-breaking accomplishments of these women. We need the young women just beginning their careers in the military service to see it and know that no door will be closed to them. We need women and men throughout the ranks to see and celebrate women's accomplishments and leadership in the services. We need little girls and boys, both, who have grown up dreaming of serving for their country to know This is what generals in the United States Armed Forces look like. This is what vice presidents of the United States look like. And that's President Biden earlier today. The United States Southern Command covers Central and South America, where United States interests have clashed with many countries, most recently Cuba and Venezuela. In more Latin news, more Latin American news, the administration announced it would grant temporary protective status to Venezuelan exiles, fulfilling a campaign promise to allow them to live and work legally in the United States. It comes after years of Democrats and Florida Republicans pushing for granting TPS status to Venezuelans, while former President Donald Trump declined to do so, instead secretly deporting Venezuelans. Democrats and Florida Republicans were quick to welcome the Biden administration's move. And Prince Harry and Meghan's explosive TV interview divided people around the world on Monday, rocking an institution that is struggling to modernize with claims of racism and callousness toward a woman struggling with suicidal thoughts. During the two-hour appearance with Oprah Winfrey, Harry also revealed the problems and ruptured relations with his father, Prince Charles, and brother, Prince William, illuminating the depth of the family divisions. In one of the most moving moments in the two-hour interview, the couple, now living in Southern California, revealed... There were concerns over the skin color of their baby. In those months when I was pregnant, all around this same time, so we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, he's not going to be given a title, and also 
concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who who is having that conversation with you? What? So, um, there is a conversation. Hold up, hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a conversation it. with you, with Harry, about how dark your baby is going to be, potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. And that was from last night's two-hour interview. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson refused to comment on the interview, praising the Queen, but saying that when it comes to matters to do with the royal family, the right thing for a prime minister is to say nothing. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden are friends with Harry and Meghan. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the president, while sympathetic, won't weigh in on the royal troubles. Obviously, many of us caught the interview. I don't have I don't have as many Americans did and many people around the world. You know, Meghan Markle is a private citizen. And so is Harry at this point for anyone to come forward and speak about their own struggles with mental health and tell their own personal story. That takes courage. That's certainly something the president believes. And he's talked about the importance of investing in a lot of these uh, areas that they're committed to in the future as well. We aren't going to provide additional commentary from here on behalf of the president or others, uh, given these are private citizens sharing their own story and their own struggles. And let me just reiterate that we have a strong and abiding relationship with the British people and a special partnership with the government of the United Kingdom on a range of issues, and that will continue. Harry said he had lived in fear of a repeat of the fate of his mother, Princess Diana, who was covered constantly by the press and died in a car crash in Paris in 1997 while being pursued by paparazzi. Harry said what I was seeing was history repeating itself, but definitely far more dangerous because then you add race in and you add social media in. And in the Midwestern United States, hundreds of people gathered Monday outside the fortified courthouse for the first day of the trial of a former police officer charged in George Floyd's death. They chanted, no justice, no peace, and speakers implored the jurors to do the right thing. Many in the crowd carried banners, some reading justice for George Floyd and convict killer cops. As the judge and attorneys convened high above in an 18th floor courtroom with jury selection almost immediately stalling over the state's effort to add a third degree murder charge against Derek Chauvin. The protesters later marched around downtown. The protest featured several speakers that ranged from activists of various organizing groups to the parents of black men killed by police. Activists say they expect the biggest turnout to be on the day of the verdict. And fully vaccinated Americans can gather with other vaccinated people indoors without wearing a mask or social distancing, according to long-awaited guidance from federal health officials. The recommendations also say that vaccinated people can come together in the same way, in a single household with people considered at low risk for severe disease, such as the case of vaccinated grandparents visiting healthy children and grandchildren. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced the guidance Monday. CDC Director Dr. Rachel Walensky. Important to note that we are focusing on activities fully vaccinated people can resume in private settings such as their homes under two scenarios. The first scenario is fully vaccinated people visiting with other fully vaccinated people. CDC recommends that fully vaccinated people can visit with other fully vaccinated people in small gatherings indoors without wearing masks or physical distancing. 
Remember here, we are talking about private settings where everyone is vaccinated. What does this mean? If you and a friend or you and a family member are both vaccinated, you can have dinner together, wearing masks without distancing. You can visit your grandparents if you have been vaccinated and they have been too. Now, I wanna to talk to you about another more complicated scenario. It involves vaccinated people visiting with unvaccinated people. When fully vaccinated people visit with unvaccinated people, we have to consider the underlying risks of the unvaccinated people and any unvaccinated members of their household. We take this approach because all of our guidance is rooted in making sure we are keeping people safe. CDC recommends that fully vaccinated people can visit with unvaccinated people from one other household indoors without wearing masks or physical distancing, as long as the unvaccinated people and any unvaccinated members of their household are not at high risk for severe COVID-19 disease. This means that none of the unvaccinated people or any unvaccinated members of their households, for example, are an adult over age 65 or have an underlying condition such as cancer, heart disease, or diabetes that could increase their risk of COVID-19 related hospitalization or death. Here's an example. If grandparents have been vaccinated, they can visit their daughter and her family, even if they have not been vaccinated, so long as the daughter and her family are not at risk for severe disease. Second, if an unvaccinated individual or any unvaccinated member of their household are at high risk for severe disease, everyone, regardless of vaccination status, should still wear a mask and physically distance and choose to meet outdoors or in a well-ventilated space. This is recommended to keep the individuals at high risk who are unvaccinated safe. And that's CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Wolanski. The CDC is continuing to recommend that fully vaccinated people still wear well-fitted masks, avoid large gatherings, and physically distance themselves from others when out in public. The CDC also advised vaccinated people to get tested if they develop symptoms that could be related to COVID-19. And the impact of COVID-19 was the subject for the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen. She says the pandemic has had an extremely unfair impact on the income and economic opportunities of women. Yellen is calling for long-term steps to improve labor market conditions for women. As of January, women accounted for slightly more than half of the 10 million jobs lost during the coronavirus crisis, even though they typically make up a little less than half the U.S. workforce. More than 2.5 million women left the labor force between February 2020 and January of this year, compared to 1.8 million men. And the role of women in the fight against COVID-19 and other diseases was the subject of today's news conference by the World Health Organization. The executive director of the group Women in Global Health is Dr. Rupa Dot. She says, while most healthcare workers in the world are women, much fewer women are in positions of power in healthcare. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the fundamental flaws and inequalities that we must put right urgently if we are to be better prepared for the next pandemic. Women are around 70% of the health and care workers, but hold only 25% of decision-making roles. And this pattern has been repeated in this pandemic. Our research shows that 85% of national COVID-19 task forces have majority male membership. 
the extraordinary work done by women in the health and care workforce in this pandemic has not earned them an equal seat at the decision-making table. And as a result, we have all lost out on their talent and expertise. Dr. Rupa Dot is the Executive Director of Women in Global Health. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. New York Attorney General Letitia James today announced the appointment of former acting U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, June H. Kim, and employment discrimination attorney Anne L. Clark as the two lawyers who will lead an independent investigation to allegations of sexual harassment leveled against Governor Andrew Cuomo. Kim and Clark will be supported in the investigation by Jennifer Kennedy Park, Abina Mainu, and Yannick Grant. The Attorney General said, We are committed to an independent and thorough investigation of the facts. Kim and Clark are independent legal experts who have decades of experience conducting investigations and fighting to uphold the rule of law. The team, the team, the attorney general said, is charged with conducting a thorough and independent investigation of the circumstances surrounding allegations of sexual harassment against Governor Cuomo, including his administration's handling of such matters. She said she went on to say the work will be comprised of, but not limited to, issuing subpoenas and related compliance, examination of relevant documents and records, interviews, including formal dispositions and analysis of data and information pertinent to the investigation. And in related news, Governor Cuomo revisited the Jacob Javits Center on the west side of Manhattan today. A year ago, he opened an emergency COVID care facility there, big enough to hold 2,500 patients. Fortunately, it wasn't needed, although the disease taxed the state and city's healthcare system to its limits. Today, Cuomo was there to rededicate that center as a mass vaccination site. But the governor says, with all the technology and science, one old problem is holding everything back, a lack of trust. COVID discriminated. Two times as many blacks died as whites. Two times as many blacks died as whites. Think about that. Black population had a higher infection rate. Black population had fewer COVID tests available. Black population had more comorbidities, more existing underlying conditions because there's a disparate health care system in this nation and there are health care deserts and there are communities that are left behind. And those people did not have the same level of health care and they fell prey to COVID at a higher rate. That is the God's honest truth before all these pastors and clergy members today. So when it comes to the vaccine, let's correct that injustice that COVID has brought to this nation and this world. When we do this vaccine, let's make sure it's available to everyone and let's make sure everyone is coming forward to take it. And Cuomo went on to describe the deadly effect of racism on COVID's deadly march through poor communities. New York City. 53% of the population is white. 57% of the people who have been vaccinated are white. 53% of the population, 57% of those vaccinated. Black population, 27% of the people in New York City are black. Only 18% of the people vaccinated. 
only 18% of the people vaccinated. Hispanic, 28% of the population, only 20% vaccinated. Asian population, 16% of the population, 23% of those vaccinated. The white population, the Asian population, are getting vaccinated at a higher rate than their population. The black population, Hispanic population, at a lower rate. And the governor went on to ensure that the vaccine is safe. I am telling you, I have gone through the research. Five million people have taken this vaccine. It is safe. I'm telling you, my mother, I recommended the vaccine to. I'm telling you, I am recommending my daughters when they're available to take the vaccine. I'm telling you that the leading black medical professionals in this country say take the vaccine. And the pastors who are here today, who have no other possible agenda, no other possible reason to mislead the black population, say take the vaccine. And that was Governor Cuomo. And in New York City, high schools are reopening on March 22nd. School Chancellor Misha Porter made the announcement today. As the parent of a 10th grader, I can tell you firsthand how exciting it is that we are reopening high schools on March 22nd and resuming PSAL programming in early April. My daughter is over the moon about being able to reconnect with her teachers in person, reunite with her friends, and just to be able to walk the halls of her high school, sit at her desk in a classroom, and rejoin the amazing learning community at Frederick Douglass Academy. My Jaden, along with up to 55,000 high schoolers, will be doing the same. And beginning March 18th, our teachers and staff members will enter their buildings and start preparing classrooms. With a 0.57 positivity rate, Our schools are the safest place to be, and we are ready to reopen schools for our high schoolers. Approximately half of our high schools will be offering in-person learning five days a week to all or a majority of their students. And we will continue to ramp that up the same way we did with elementary and middle schools. We will also be bringing back all sports in April and offering additional PSAL opportunities throughout the summer. And we are going to continue with what we know works, weekly in-person testing for our students, educators, and staff, and now our student athletes as well. 30-day supplies of PPE, nightly deep cleanings, mandated social distancing, and mask wearing, and support and monitoring from our situation room. This is a proven approach to safety. And that's Misha Ross Porter, the New York City School Chancellor. As announced today, sports will return to high schools in April, but only for the players. Parents will be kept out of the sports arenas, at least until everyone is vaccinated. And with an election year in New York City in full swing, an activist group of young environmentalists called the Sunrise Movement is getting involved in deciding uh, who are the best candidates. And they made their endorsements known today of 10 candidates for city council from throughout the city. High school student Judah Klingsberg had this to say. Sunrise Movement is a movement of young people working to enact a Green New Deal and defeat climate change while creating millions of good jobs in the process. Um, Sunrise Movement NYC uh, is the local hub 
of that national movement. Um, a Sunrise endorsement means that we're going to be fighting for their campaign, getting boots on the ground and getting calls in the air. Um, for the campaign last year, we made 60,000 calls for our 16 endorsed candidates, 14 of which won. And this year, we're very excited to endorse a slate of 10 people so far across New York City for city council. And who are some of those people and why did you endorse them? We endorsed 10 women who are running on with comprehensive platforms to bring a just transition away from fossil fuels to their district and to enact and to get climate justice into our city, into our city's budget and into our city's laws. We had Kristen Richardson Jordan in Harlem, Amanda Farias and Elisa Crespo in the Bronx, Tiffany Caban, Jasleen Kaur, Aleda Gagarin and Felicia Singh in Queens. Shahana Hanif, Alexa Viles, and Sandy Nurse in Brooklyn. This is International Women's Day, and all those names are women. Is there a connection? Yes, that is true. We're uh, obviously an intersectional movement. We know that there is no climate justice without gender justice and without social justice. We know that representation is very important. We know that representation for women is very important. And we also know that representation for amazing, progressive creative, inspiring women is also important. These are competent, awesome candidates. And I think it's not a coincidence um, that they're all that they're all women and we're honored to be able to do this for International Women's Day. And if these women get elected or a good number of them do, what would you expect from them on the city council and how do, would that differ from what we've seen up till now? A lot of what we're trying to do is get New York City to be the progressive city that we like to imagine that we are. We have a plan that we've co-sponsored called Climate Works for All that would bring 100,000 green jobs to New York City. We're looking to get to net zero by 2030. We're looking to invest in communities and green jobs and to make sure that communities have breathable air, uh, clean water, clean air. We're looking to retrofit NYCHA and get investment in public housing in a way that will reduce carbon emissions and will also improve quality of life for our NYCHA residents. Are we going to create a new situation now where environmentalists are going to war against mayors who are more in line with uh, real estate interests and things like that? Yeah, well, I don't know if this might come as a surprise, but we're not huge fans of the mayor. We don't want mayors to be in line with real estate interests. We're looking to be in line with communities and with climate justice. We'll continue to hold this mayor accountable. We'll hold the next mayor accountable, no matter who that is, whether that's through our own activism or through electing city council representatives, who will do that too. Judah Klingsberg of the Sunrise Movement. And finally, Bronx District Attorney Darcel D. Clark announced that the supervising judge of Bronx Criminal Court, George A. Grasso, today granted her office's motion to dismiss more than 800 cases that involve the charge of loitering for prostitution. District Attorney Clark said, for some time, my office has declined to prosecute the charge loitering for the intent of prostitution, which disproportionately targets women, LGBTQ people and at-risk youth. There hadn't been an arrest for this offense in the Bronx since 20. 18, I supported the repeal of Penal Law 240.37, and it was officially repealed by the state legislature last month. She went on to say the dismissal of warrants in cases related to this charge is the right thing to do. Warrants create obstacles when people apply for housing, jobs, or other resources. With today's action, hundreds will be able to move forward without collateral consequences. This is part of my overall effort to focus resources on prosecuting sex traffickers and provide assistance for those victimized by the sex trade.
that's from the news for Monday, March 8th, International Women's Day 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. For the WBAI News, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Enjoy International Women's Day.